You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is... Paul Gilleary. Ah, uh, Paul, with it, we're in the throes of October now. Are you ready for some playoff... No, you're not ready for playoff baseball. I'm ready for some yet. pumpkin ale, I can tell oh, you that much. You've, you've, you've swiftly positioned yourself. You, you've, you've, you've shifted from playoff baseball, which you are not a part of this season, I apologize, to pumpkin uh, ale. Yeah, yeah, that's what we that, that's got to drown the sorrows, my good man. <laughs> poor, poor giants just uh, found themselves making a mess of the bed, as the uh, proverbial saying goes. That, that, the actual a, saying, I shall not repeat. Yeah, but, that was uh, the the, uh, the PG version. Um, yeah. I will glow and say that my Atlanta Braves are on. Oh, you guys are in, in, in historic offense. Oh, like half your lineup is like bopping forty home runs a piece. Uh, I'm rooting for you guys. I think well, I think you. it'd be a yeah. That's lovely. Oh. Yeah. It's not the giving season, but it feels like it. It will um, be next month, so we'll get we'll get that started ooh, that's early. True. Too. Welcome, guys. Uh, if you're new, uh, hello. Uh, I'm Jason. That is Paul. If you've been around the block a couple of times, welcome back. Um, a little bit of housekeeping to get out of it before we kind of dive into this thing. Consider this the uh, the four or five song ramp up that Pearl Jam does now. Um, if you haven't heard this before, I don't know how you haven't, but um, it really helps us out. It helps the community. It helps people find the show. If you rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred platform of choice. That is true. And uh, if you are feeling giving, even though it's not the giving month, uh, we do have Patreon. Um, we we do, but you know, the best way to give, I would say, is to feed that algorithm, Jason. So it doesn't eat us. Get this podcast in front of people's ears. That is the best thing you can possibly do. I just throw that that Patreon thing out there if you're feeling uh, super saucy, but no big deal either way. You're here now. That's what matters. And you know who else is here, Paul? As I steal your Segway championship. Another guest? Yeah. Um, We've got a gentleman who, uh, I will hold my hand up. I was not aware of this gentleman's site, his platforms, but when I, when I dove into it, I saw I saw the people on the Instagrams and I saw the people on the Twitters and the Facebooks, and I go, "Who is this cat? There's all at all these shows, this tour, and he's got this following. He's got this website, and he's diving into all things live music. And uh, Pearl Jam is very good live. Uh, ipso facto, he's on the show from Concert Pants. It's Sheehan Pereira. How's it going, man? Doing very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure, man. And, and and seeing the images and seeing your notes and your thoughts about this recent Pearl Jam run made me think we got to talk to this guy. He's one of our own. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm honored. We're happy to have you on. So I want to kind of, first of all, you're in Austin, Texas, right? Yes, correct. Beautiful. Uh, lovely town. Uh, some of the listeners know that I was I was there a couple weeks ago for those two yeah, shows. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about those shows because we we're obviously both there um, a little bit later. I want to kind of get people up to speed uh, who may not know you or or know your story or the or the site slash um, accounts story. So I'll I'll zoom out real quick and say, what is 
concert pants anyway? <laughs> Uh, good question. I, I thank I think you. I've had myself it, in good questions. Yeah, it's it's an evolving answer. Um, it's, <laughs> it's evolution, baby. Um, it, it started off just as you know, I I wanted to take my concert obsession and passion uh, just a little bit more seriously than than just going to the shows and you know talking about it with friends. So uh, I thought, okay, let let me get on this Instagram thing, which I was late to. Uh, and and start posting kind of my old ticket stubs because I collected all of them. Um, you, know, you still have all of them from like back in the day? Not all of them. Uh, and I actually only moved into moved to the United States in '98, so I have them all, or '97 rather. So I have them all starting kind of the summer of '98, which is when still. I came into going to concerts. So so yeah, I mean lots and lots of them. Um, and started off just kind of posting those. I, I have to say that those didn't always do very well on <laughs> on Instagram. And I was kind of like, okay, I guess I'm just doing this wrong or something. And and one day I posted um, a picture of a record I was listening to, a vinyl record. And suddenly, whoosh, you know, just there is a very, very strong vinyl community on Instagram. And that uh, concert pants kind of went that way for a little bit. And then it was a com- combination of both. And um, and then I started getting a lot more into the photography. So you've probably mm-hmm. seen some of that too. And mm-hmm. it the goal was kind of always just to, to be a mechanism for me to go to more shows and to maybe even, you know, become the means to go to those shows. So I, I used to work in the music industry, um, you know, over 15 years ago when I lived in New York City. And um, so I, I kind of know how to play the game with publicists and everything like that. So I now when shows come through town that I'm interested in going to, I'll reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I'd love to review the show and take photos and obviously be very happy to share them with you. And I would, I'd say 50% or more of the times I end up, you know, getting a photo pass and getting tickets to go to the show and that that's kind of just how this hobby and this passion remained alive um i would say that's it (laughs) Um, labor of love exactly yeah i have not had the guts yet to um apply for a photo pass for pearl jam and i don't know that i would want to be taking it that seriously honestly because i just want to be a fan there and you know uh right up front as close as i can with everyone else but um but maybe someday that's actually the uh a hard, I guess, um, uh, fork in the road to choose because, you know, we do this show, right? We do, yeah. we do this dog and pony show. And it's like, well, what if somebody, somebody was like, well, hey, let's go ahead and pay you a lot of money and you got to do all this stuff, but you have to be, you know, quote unquote, more professional or whatever mm-hmm. they, they needed you to do because they have sponsors who X, Y, and Z, you know, and all of a sudden yeah. it's like, well, can I not go to a show and rock out? Do I have to like sit in the gantry and like take notes? Like, not that I'm saying that we're going to get there. True. Like, I feel like that's where you kind of like, when does that stop? Like what, what artists would you, would you say that I can't, I have to remain a fan of? Yeah, no, I mean, and that's a really good question. I think, uh, so one of the things, if you look at my Instagram, I, I, I call concert pants, you know, searching for the crossroads of blues and grunge. And, um, whereas I think, I would consider myself really a student and always wanting to learn more and research more and, you know, do the hard work like we're talking about to learn about blues and blues history and even how the blues continues today. Grunge is kind of my safe space. Mm. So whereas one is, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to do the work here and um, take songs only for the, uh, t- rather take pictures for the first three songs and then even begin begin to start writing a review like in on my phone or just on a notepad or something while I'm still at the show. Whereas with 
Pearl Jam or another grunge band or something, I'm just kind of there. It's my it's my present tense, right? It's it's where I go to escape. Um, and and that's a beautiful thing to have between the two, especially when they when they combine. And Pearl Jam such a great band for combining grunge and blues. But um, but yeah, I would say that that's probably one place I would draw the line. <laughs> How did we get there though? Like what, like where does this start? for you with Pearl Jam. Like you mentioned that you moved to the US in 1998. Yeah. Please, please tell me you saw them in like Bangkok in 95. You're so close. Like- You're so Singapore. close. Singapore. I, yeah, the Singapore. Oh, yeah. Well, I wasn't there, unfortunately. Oh. I was I was very close by living in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Mm. Um, yes. And, and I do I do know of people that I, I, I've i met a lot of people actually on the last tour that were at that show. And it's kind of like, what's going on? But uh, you met but yeah, Tanya, no, uh, Tanya King? Yes, yes. In there fact, Tanya stayed with me. No <laughs> kidding. The awesome shows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, she's awesome. Yeah. Um, and that was the first time we'd met no <laughs> in kidding. person. Wow. So, so yeah. So, um, yeah, Tanya was there. And then another friend of mine, I have a friend whose wife was there. And then just just heard of someone else in the South Austin community who was also there. And it's kind of like, wow, like, you know, I don't, I don't know what the capacity was at that show, but I'll slowly kind of make my way through it. Even though I was actually that geographically close no, in Malaysia. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I, 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 he was I, asking what, about people staying with you. And I said that that was in Austin. Not, not, oh, yeah, yeah. Not oh, okay. Okay. Not back then. No, 95 was kind of just before I found grunge i was still heavily into my michael jackson phase at that time can i tell you uh, uh, i know it, this is about you grunge. and not about me but I, I need to tell you that my very first concert ever was michael jackson oh i'm so jealous as am i that's the one artist i never got to see it's very oh. weird like my mom bought tickets because she she saw how much i loved watching the bad video yeah. on mtv as a five-year-old cool yeah questionable hey. parenting right there by the way uh but yeah she but she bought tickets and we went to uh see the show on the bad tour in 1987 that's amazing Isn't that weird uh, it's not weird at all it's amazing because like you know and i'm glad props to your mom for for seeing just <laughs> interest in, in music and you know all of that stuff and and being able to just take manifest it for you you know so you were um, you were like a dangerous guy. You were like I was absolutely Space Jam a dangerous soundtrack guy. and absolutely yes, yeah yes. absolutely a dangerous guy. So before I lived in Malaysia, I actually lived in Laos. Uh, my mom oh, worked shit. for the UN, so I was born in the uh, born in New York. Um, started moving abroad when I was about seven, and then moved back when I was fourteen. So a lot of what I consider my growing up from seven to fourteen was in Laos and Malaysia. But but yeah, in Laos we had a satellite dish and we could only watch MTV Asia and on Saturday mornings they'd have the US top twenty countdown and I would always wake up early to watch that. And for so long at that time it was Will You Be There, Michael Jackson from the free Willy soundtrack. Oh and, god, um, really? And yeah, so I was always kind of like, Oh, okay, he's still number one, he's still number one. And the sun I remember so distinctly one week he was number two. And I was like, What the heck is number one? Like if he's number two now, and it was meatloaf. I would do anything for love. Well, and I have not been able to like meatloaf. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I just can't, I, I just can't do it. I didn't, you know, I just can't do it. But, but no, I mean, yeah, I was very much in that Michael Jackson phase where I started with dangerous and went backwards, loved all of it. And then um, probably right after that Pearl Jam show in Singapore was when I, when found grunge and, um, and because I was on that side of the world, really Nirvana was big, but we were, we got started more on like Bush and Silverchair, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, nice. from Australia, you know, on on those bands. Um, 
before I, you know, really found Pearl Jam and stuff like that, which was probably the next year. So you, did you hear, I mean, I'm not asking you necessarily uh, date yourself, but like, did you have (sighs) friends that like went to those, went to that show or something? Like, how did you hear about them after the fact? I, well, so I, sh- I shouldn't say that I had friends that went to the show because I didn't remember it at that time. I've talked to people since then that were because we were in sixth grade. And sure. um, so I there were, oh, there were eighth graders that went and like Malaysia has very strong censorship laws. Mm. So I don't think they were even allowed to come into Malaysia. And there were a lot of shows that people would go to Singapore for, for example, like the Smashing Pumpkins, too. Um, like they couldn't come to KL. They came. They went to Singapore. So a lot of people went. And I remember yeah, they, that they, one. They, that they one did was, to Singapore right after Bangkok in 95 okay yeah so um so yeah they did they did that and so no i didn't know or i rather i didn't remember people going um when i was in sixth grade then but um but what how i got into it was actually just through a friend and we were we were actually on a plane taking we were in a national school we had these really cool field trips there was a two-week math science field trip from malaysia to come to the united states and that was um we went to space camp uh went to Cape Canaveral and then to San Francisco, but it was on that flight that he told me like, Hey, have you listened to Pearl Jam? And I was like, no, like, I don't know who that is. And so I was listening to one side of the, of the disc man, you know, headphones and the first song was alive and it was. Oh, he started you with alive. He started with me. uh, Yeah. He started me with alive. Exactly. And I just remember being absolutely blown away, even though it was only one ear that I was hearing and I had already planned. So here I'm I'm 13 at this point um, in eighth grade. I'd already planned that when I'm going on this field trip, I'm going to go to a store in the States and buy a Discman and a couple <laughs> of CDs. I had I had the cash in my pocket to do that. I bought the Discman and I bought 10 and I bought the other album that had just come out, which was No Code um, in 96. That, that, that remains my favorite album today. Um, and yeah, that's that's how Pearl Jam started. Good Lord. Here's a question. <laughs> which, do you remember which ear you had in? Uh, yeah, the right ear. <laughs> that's the Mike McCready ear on the records. Uh, Okay, well, that get that helped. That certainly uh, on helped. the uh, on the live bootlegs is in the left, but on the on the on the studios is in the right. Um, yeah, I definitely remember it. He was sitting to my right, and so then I had the the headphone yeah. that went in here. Yeah, <laughs> that's what. What by the way, what a field trip! I know, I know. I mean, it was it was great. It, Paul, do you remember it saved our up field for, trips? It for a long time? And um, yeah, oh, I knew yeah. I wanted to do it. It was a yeah, basically space-oriented math science field trip. <laughs> They're flying a- across the international dateline. We take oh, a yeah. 20-minute ride to a pumpkin patch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I-, I took a group to Washington, D.C. one time. Oh, did you? Oh, Cross-country. Yeah. Actually, I-, I did go to Boston once. That was like a 90-minute bus ride. For the, oh, what do they call oh. Liberty Trail? What was that, that thing is called? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Freedom Trail? Freedom Trail. There it yeah. is. One yeah. of the freedom there. Um, <laughs> so then, okay, so... You've got this taste. You've gotten yeah. the 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 uh, Pearl Jam earwig has just, has just burned itself into your into your soul, and um, so that's ninety six or so. Correct. Yeah. So in the last what is that twenty seven years? Um, yeah. How many shows have you seen? Uh, as of the end of this tour, it's twenty six. Ooh, nice. So yeah, first show was ninety eight. And um, so yeah, it's been kind of a slow burn, a steady at this point, one a year average. Um, and the cool thing, the very cool thing, which um, I know we're going to get to talking about the Austin shows, but Austin won September 18th, 2023 was the 
fifth anniversary of my very first show, which was on September 18th, 1998, uh, oh. the Yield Tour. And it also was my 25th show. So Did you like it, uh, buy a lottery ticket there or something? Uh, that's, that's you know, like, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I planned that for 25 years. Like there were so many shows I couldn't go to just to make that happen. No. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, and no, I actually, I, you may have seen it on my Instagram. I, I held up a sign that, that said that it's like, you know, tonight's my 25th PJ anniversary is my 25th show. And that right down to the wire, I wasn't sure if it was going to happen because, you know, luckily I hadn't been planning to go to Indy, um, mm. to make that number happen. Um, and so, you know, at, at any point I thought Fort Worth one, you know, probably going to get canceled or something. So like, this isn't going to work, but sure enough, it did. And I remember telling my wife, like a few years ago, I was like, if they play anywhere on September 18th, 2023, I'm really like, I'm going to have to fly there and go because it's the 25th anniversary of my first show happened to be the 25th show. It happened to be in my hometown, Austin. I mean, like the stars were aligned uh, at that point. So it was, it was a special, special day and special moment for me. What's, what would have been weird is uh, if I had tried to do the exact same thing, my 25th anniversary would have been the first Fort Worth show. No way. Yeah. Oh, cool. I, I did not do that, though. So just a few days earlier. Yeah. Because <laughs> mine was Hartford 98 and yours was a few days after. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah what yeah. city? Was it in Boston? Uh, so even though I was living in New York, it was in Columbia, Maryland. Um, that's like that's the right. DC Columbia, area. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Great show. Yeah. It was actually the night before Constitution Hall. Oh, oh shit! Yeah. yeah, Constitution Hall was September nineteenth, ninety eight. Right, yeah, 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 right. Wait, so uh, okay, across these twenty six, then give me like a couple that stand out to you. Uh, you know, as hard as it as hard as it is to pick out a favorite, I always think about Fenway One twenty sixteen. Um, like one of the first ones I think about. Um. Fenway, a very special place for me. I went to business school in BU, um, nice. started dating my wife there. We lived on opposite sides of Fenway Park. So I used to walk up and down those sidewalks all the time. And another thing that I had told her, I mean, she has to hear a lot of my uh, Pearl Jam theories and stuff like that. But uh, but I told her at that point, Pearl Jam ever plays Fenway Park. If we're living anywhere else in the world, we're going to come back and see it. And then sure enough, a few years later, they did. Um, so she came with me to both of those shows, but, but I really feel like Fenway one just had this energy about it. Like the first couple songs, the breeze was blowing. It was this beautiful Boston evening. Um, Eddie just looked like a prophet. He sounded like the voice of God and the set list was amazing. Um, so many great covers and rare, like strangest tribe was on there. Uh, oh, masters of war, comfortably numb, like all these things, all, all these covers that I just really wanted to see. And it kind of, it just all came together there so i'd say that's one but um a few a few shows on the riot act tour as well buffalo um may 2nd oh, 03 was a really good one i was in college in western new york at the time so i'd only decided that day to go if, um if we could get tickets on the floor which we did like two hours beforehand and arrived right before they started um did not go the next night at state college which i still regret sometimes and then i was at live at the garden um later that year the one that came we out we've been to a lot of shows together my friend oh uh, that's awesome cool the Garden um, 03, those two Fenway shows, Austin shows. So you must be from the East Coast too then? I'm from Connecticut, yeah. Okay, cool, cool, yeah. yeah. The Wooster 13 shows? Did not go to that. I was out here uh, by then. Okay. I only flew those back to Boston because it was Fenway. Yeah, that was same here. I was already living in Austin, um, but went back both times for those Fenway shows. Speaking of traveling for concerts, yeah. I mean, clearly, this is your wheelhouse, right? Um, I think 
it's interesting because you, you kind of talked about the the personal connection to a lot of these venues and these destinations and sure. how that was a driving force in wanting to go see them in these specific locales. What about Absolutely. traveling? And maybe expand on that a bit more. What about traveling to shows is so meaningful for you? Um, I mean, so, so good question. And I, I have to say, I did not really start doing that for Pearl Jam until very recently. It was probably the Fenway show that were the first that I traveled back for. Um, and then since then, kind of branched out a little bit more. I mean, this also comes from having the means now, um, as opposed to when I was 15. But uh, but like my wife and I went to Barcelona um, to see a, a Pearl Jam show in 2018. And and yeah, I've since kind of also done Florida and a, a few others where it's a weekend or a friend is there and I can do that. But but yeah, there is really something special about flying somewhere and being fully immersed and Pearl Jam is a great example of this where it's not just a show it's the whole day of meeting people at the merch line or in the hotel lobby and everybody's talking about the same thing you're speaking the same language you're there for the it's same weird reason. isn't it uh it, it's fantastic I mean it it's it's like meditation almost you know like my meditation here is just being able to listen to Pearl Jam radio and get lost in it for a little while um to not have to think about it in my own head but, but when you're there, you're actually, you're just there and the, the trucks are there and, you know, the energy is right there. Uh, there's a part of me that feels good anytime I know Pearl Jam is playing or touring anywhere in the world, even if I'm not there. But, but once you're there, it's just different. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, that's a huge part of it. And then there's just so many people you meet, like, um, and familiar faces that it might take you three or four cities before you finally walk up to them and say, Hey, you know, I've been seeing you a lot, you know, and it's like, yeah, no, I've been seeing you too. And then suddenly it's like, Oh, well, well, this is my, Oh, you know, so-and-so of course I know so-and-so. And, you know, it's always like that, isn't it? It's always like that. Yeah. It, it's literally, it's always like that. Uh, I mean, you, you have so many mutual friends and the, yeah, then you like add each other on Facebook and you find out all these other mutual friends. It's like, well, how do you know that person? How do you know that person? And um, yeah, no, I mean, I've made, I've made some really great friends just in merch lines um, that I've kept in touch with for years. And they've become the people that I, um, you know, go see shows now with too. It, so it reminds me of, uh, of what Ed said in Chicago, just a, like a few weeks back when he said that, um, you know, this front row, I see you guys almost more than yeah. my family. So you're kind of part of my family. now. It, it's, it's true. Like it's true. And, and yeah, I mean the, the rail, you know, that's, that that's a group too. I mean, that you recognize them anywhere, right? Yeah, I remember uh, seeing. Uh, there's a gentleman from Tasmania, who is. I think oh, he's. I think he's in his fifties. His name is Jason. Shows or something like that. Oh, wow. I think he's closing in a hundred. Yeah, and um, you can tell him by his long Santa-like beard. <laughs> and like, I remember they tweeted out a photo from from uh, Amsterdam last summer, and I like zoomed in. I'm like, oh, there he is. <laughs> like, <laughs> this dude just traveling everywhere. Absolutely. I Absolutely. saw him on the um I saw him on the video board at Austin. Like I was just looking up and I, I just like he's like 20, he's right over there. Yeah. Um you say it, his, you, his 10 club membership is so old, he's like guaranteed floor every show. <laughs> I that I guess that happens too, right? But you bring you brought up a good point bringing up Chicago, Paul. I mean, another uh, dimension to answer your question is is also just what cities mean a lot to the band, right? Like this this year was the first time I saw saw the boys in Chicago. And it was very apparent how much it meant to Eddie to be in Chicago. 
And, um, you know, even the first night he was telling stories about his aunt and visiting his grandmother's house. And it was literally like close to tears, if not actually, you know, maybe a couple trickling down his cheek, but it was, it was very deep. It was very emotional, but he was also just having a great time. And I think that's part of it too. I think they were having a great time in Austin. It, it, seeing them in different cities is also about what it means to them and what it brings out of them. That's a great point. Um, you know, I didn't travel for anything really uh, until, well, 2016. And it was because I go, well, there's a, a handful of markets where it's like the crowd is always an extra level above. Yeah. Boston is one of those cities. I mean, the whole mm-hmm. kind of Northeast corridor is pretty solid. Um, yeah. Chicago and Seattle. And so when they did that that tour, I was like, okay, either going to be Wrigley or Fenway. I chose Fenway. And then they did yeah. the home and away shows in 2018. They go, okay, I did Boston already. So is it going to be Seattle or is it going to be Chicago? I'm like, well, home show, Seattle. So I did Seattle. But Good like, so, so Chicago is still on my bucket list to do, but you make a great point. And when you talk about going to these places where it means a lot and you talk about going with your wife and, and meeting new friends who've become sort of like this, this part of like your extended family in a sense. Yeah. That's one thing. But when you... And we talk to our, our buddy, Step, who joined me in Austin. He's been on our show a number of times. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how he never really traveled after he had kids. Oh, okay. It was like a good, like eight or nine years where he just, he just couldn't do it because he yeah. had, you know, he was, he had to be home. He had to make sure he was ruining his kids. Right. And, you know, obviously when you have kids, money goes down and like all yeah. these things kind of wrap up. So how you have a couple of kids, right? So how, how is it that, that, how has having kids affected your concert going experience in your Pearl Jam going experience? So that's a, that's a really great question. And, um, and yeah, part of me kind of kicks myself for, you know, why didn't I just do the whole home and away run of seven shows when I did not have kids or a dog or a house or anything like that. But, um, but I think it's a couple of things. I think for one, so I have two kids. Um, one is four and one is uh 17 month. So, oh God, so 2019, in, the first it, with that yeah yeah exactly God bless um you. and so yeah when the first one was born in 2019 um you know they were gearing up for the 2020 tour and it was kind of like okay sweet this is this is going to be great i'll figure out how to do this the best i can um so i was focused on the two the, rather the four california shows at the time la and oakland because those were back-to-back nights right and um we have family there so that was going to be an easy one to do stay at my brother-in-law's house you know a matter of five nights there's four shows done so very efficient in that way kind of thing but of course what happened to that 2020 tour right um on on comes the pandemic and i think that um kind of helped in me in in really forcing me to get out more because there, there were so many, there were just days where at the beginning, we didn't know much of, we just didn't know what was going to happen. Right. So there was a part of me thinking, you know, and this many people died today in Venice and this many people died in New York city. And is it just a matter of maybe two weeks before that, like we're all gone. Mm. Um, and I thought that was a very, it was a very real possibility in my head at one point, like I was wearing a mask outside walking the dog because I just didn't know how airborne it was or something. So I think there was really kind of a seize the day mentality where it was just like, you, you know, we just got to do what we want to do um, and figure out a way to make it work. And I think that was one of the things, um, one of the reasons that I 
for example, on this run did six shows, uh, because it was just kind of like, you know, we don't have as much time as we think. So, so let's do it. Um, the other one was actually just that I wanted, I wanted my kids to know, I wanted to be able to tell them the story and I wanted to, to be able to specifically say, you know, my, my love for concerts and my passion and my, you know, doing what I love did not change when you came around. Um, you know, in fact, it, it helped me to do it more. And I want you to know that that's what I, that's the way I did it. And that's the way I approached it. And I hope you do the same thing too, one day, um, you know, for anything that you love. So, so yeah, I, I think that's what that in specific, uh, regard to the post kids and traveling for concerts and, and keeping doing it. Those were, those are probably the two biggest pieces uh, that influenced my continuation or, or rather first extended travel for, for those shows. It, it helped the two were in Austin, right? And two yes. were in Fort Worth. So I, I drove back, you know, right after the, uh, in between. So there's a lot of, I did the, the Fort Worth Austin drive four times in, in three days there. Oh my God. Uh, I mean, but, if, but, if you were a real fan, you would have gone <laughs> to St. Paul. I'm just saying. Yeah, true. 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 <laughs> um, but so, so yeah, and that way it made it easy for me this time around. And I, I don't know that I'll do, I was exhausted. That's a lot of driving. Too. Oh. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I'll, do that many on another run um which hopefully we'll have coming up soon but but no i mean that was that was a great question i think that was that's why i wanted to make sure kids didn't stop me from doing it and i have a very supportive wife of course cannot that helps. cannot be understated at all that she knows how much it means to me yeah well you know i mean speaking of wives yeah um yeah jason and i have, have been to a couple of shows now with, with our respective spouses. Yeah. And uh, it's a whole new dynamic, I think um, yeah. for us, but, but I think for anybody, just cause he and I have a, the couple of shows in the bucket that we've, we've caught just together. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm kind of curious, like that, that whole support system, like how, for, for you, like how does your wife handle you, you being gone? Like you, you're saying she's been, tremendously supportive like absolutely was it that same thing of like well i see that this is something that he loves and because i love him i want to to you know cultivate that and so i don't want to yeah. stand in the way of that or was it more of like something where um she was curious about it and it was like well yeah you, you do that and i'm kind of curious like <laughs> what what happens when you do this so often you know what i mean it's like, that's that's interesting um i I don't know as much about the latter, but but perhaps that perhaps that's it as well because it was unknown territory to me as well. I'd never done more than two shows on a single tour leg or three in a single year, um, and I, I'm saying this because sometimes they do U.S. shows, they go to Europe, they come back, mm -hmm. so there might be two and one kind of separated. But I'd never done more than that in one go, so this was call it an experiment or something for me as well. But, um, but I think it, it's certainly the first part of what you said, which is that she really understands how much this means to me. It's, um, it's, you know, you can't miss it walking around our house. I mean, uh, there's posters everywhere where we're listening to Pearl Jam radio in the car all the time. I'm wearing a Pearl Jam t-shirt every day. So it's not like I'm faking it. Like, Hey, suddenly they decided to to go on tour and i'm like well don't you know like actually like my favorite bands so i want to go see them a bunch of times and it's like you them at all. like it's not that at all um so, so i think there's there's that part of it 
but we've also kind of figured out ways that make it easier. So she also travels a lot for work. Um, and we kind of know the single parent routine, the, the kids know the single parent routine. And one of the things that I specifically did in the way that I scheduled the shows I went to on this tour was that they were all on weekdays because that's easier or, you know, the preferred time to take care of kids because you have them in the morning, drop them off at school or a daycare, um, pick them up in the evening and it's playtime, dinner time, you know, bath time and, and to sleep. So it, it's a lot less solo work than if it was the weekend, um, sure. you know, full thing. So, so that's why, that's why the shows were specifically weekdays that the ones that I went to, that I would only be missing weekdays at home. Um, so there are things like that, that we kind of worked on too, you know, to make sure that we, um, we're, we're doing it the best way, but we realize, you know, it takes a village too. My mom lives in Austin. So she helped out for some of them. The the neighbors helped out. It was, it was, uh, a group effort, but everybody knows how much it means to me. And, and it'll continue meaning this much to me. Like we, we sometimes compare my concert trips to my wife's work trip. And I'm kind of like, look, the ROI on my concert trips, I'm going to be talking about them for the rest of my life. And, looking at those posters and listening to those bootlegs and you know it's we should consider that a lot more valuable than work trips because <laughs> those are just in your head and out of your head right <laughs> yeah. you should tell that to my wife oh okay yeah she'd appreciate that perspective i, I bring go. i asked that question because that's something i i, I didn't ask question it was it was on our notes here and, and paul beautifully asked it but like it's 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 asked because that's something that i've noticed not just for us me and paul but like i hear stories mm -hmm. and like uh we interviewed um a gentleman by the name of brian flood who works for the oh, wishes yeah, foundation yeah yeah he was on our, our live cast and and what a cool guy and, and he's been to 100 i think 11 or 112 shows now and his wife is constantly too ahead of him because she's <laughs> as big a fan so she obviously she understands yeah. The yeah. question is for the for the spouses or the significant others who are like either casual fans or not at all. And like how do they handle that? Mm -hmm. I know I know how my wife feels. I know kind of how how Paul's wife feels. And there's like a give and take there of what's possible and yeah. around all the schedules and how busy we are individually on our own jobs and the, all the all the variables that I'm sure you're aware of in your own life. And everyone's got their own variables. I wanted to read something. Um, one of the, one of our listeners, um, who's a huge fan he, and he, I met him in real life for the first time after night one in Austin okay. and, uh, you know, he, we were both, uh, we had, 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 had a few beers that, that day and that evening. And he kind of unleashed this beautiful story on me and I, I want to read it. I'm not going to say who it was, yeah, but please. this is the story. And he says at Fort Worth night one during just breathe i broke down in tears being away from my wife and family knowing my wife is struggling without me there we went to our first show in 2010 in columbus ohio during just breathe at that show in 2010 i knew at that moment i would be married to her wow we got married in 2012 and just breathe just breathe was our wedding song 
I wanted her to come to at least two of the shows I attended this tour, Fort Worth or Austin, but she sacrificed for me and our family so that I could experience Pearl Jam for the 8th, 9th, 10th, and 11th times. The Pearl Jam fans, Jamly, the Faithful, Jammers, whatever you name them, are the best ever. But the spouses of Pearl Jam fans are even better because they allow us to have the experience for two and a half, three hours that is like no other in the world. I love this band. I love my family even more. I can't repay them enough for allowing me these experiences. Your response, sir. It's just so perfectly eloquently said. I mean, bravo to whoever that is, because that that does encapsulate it just extremely well. Um, wow. And, and I mean, I, I can imagine it. I can I can imagine what that feeling was. And Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's beautiful. And it, it, I feel like the band in a way makes it easy to not forget those kinds of things too. Um, there's so much about the band and shows in particular that dig so deep into our soul that we do find ourselves thinking about our families. And, you know, like even, even to the point where I've, I'm a little bit of a runner and I tried to do a half marathon uh, once a year. I have this like 180 beats per minute playlist that it's kind of like, okay, but towards the end, I'll just put anything on. And a few years ago, I put um, Let's Play 2 on mm-hmm. uh, for like the last couple of miles. And it was ridiculous. And I was telling my wife about, obviously, I'm telling my wife about the experience of the la- running the last few miles, hearing these songs, and just all the thoughts that were coming into my head about the day my son was born. And mm. like, you know, when we drove from New York to Austin, Texas to start this new life. And it's kind of like, what? is it about like like why were all of those memories coming up you know i was just in the middle of this run in a good space and and it, suddenly when the soundtrack changed all the emotions came out <laughs> and um and so no i totally believe it and um and it's similar for me and it, it, another great thing about the band is it just every, every whatever phase of your life you're in there's a way to relate to it and so for me now, like every time I hear Wishlist, Wishlist was the song I sang to my son every night to put him to sleep. And no um, yeah, yeah, it was a great, great lullaby. And, you know, we just easy to walk around in, like nice steady beat to kind of <laughs> keep rocking him and stuff like that. But um, yeah, now when I hear it, it's it's just, it's him. It's it's me and him. It's his song. I, I still haven't taken him. I, I'm debating taking him so strongly. In Austin, he's four though. So we, we both have kids the same age. My my son is four. He turned, okay. uh, he was born in 2019. Yeah. I also have a daughter who's nine. Okay. And my daughter was like, "Can I finally go to a show now? Can I Aww. finally stay up late?" And oh, I want her to go show? with us so bad now. <laughs> <laughs> my son, my oldest, is six, and I was I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, oh, I don't know, but like, hey, those dates are probably coming next year. I can totally see a scenario. I'm like, yeah, hey, buddy, let's go. Yeah. No. I, like if. If they do ACL again, like if, if, if even if this year had been ACL, I would have done it because I could have had him in his like Bob stroller. Mm-hmm. We wanted to fall asleep. He could have done it. ACL is different thing because like, you're outside. You have the it's outside. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you could put a blanket down and lie down. Like, you know, all of that stuff. I would take it very easy. But yeah, Moody Center was loud and, uh, you know, late and all that stuff. But, but no, I mean, like whether it's kids or um, parents, you know, there's they're literally just something to relate to so strongly. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's one thing to feel it. We're all feeling it. We're all, you know, giving each other hugs, and you, you don't have to look far to see someone breaking down during kind of any song um, at a Pearl Jam show. But there's, it's because there's this other dimension that just tugs at our hearts, 
And um, to be able to put it so eloquently as that person did is is a is another talent all in and of its own. And um, yeah, he speaks for all of us. I got one. I got one more here for you. Um, yeah, we talked about concert pants, and it's it's many <laughs> yeah. evolutions, right? So if we're gonna do the evolution, baby, where do you see this site in three to five years? Uh, you know, I a great question. I I feel like um. I feel like I'm finding something with the photography here. Um, I think the the real kind of playing off of the crossroads between grunge and blues is something I'd like to explore more because one of them, again, is something that I enjoy studying so much. And the other one is something I'm really enjoying the experience of. And there's just so many, um, there's just so many intersections. So, so yeah, I feel like I'd like to do that more and, kind of just make it a discussion um between the two but but really i mean doing this i mean you, you guys are helping me manifest exactly kind of what i wanted to get out of this too where it was just being able to talk to other folks and you know be able to share my opinions i i, I was the the guy that watched vh1 behind the music and like all that kind of stuff just like and eating it all up but there were always these experts of uh, of 90s music and 80s music and stuff like that and i would love to be that guy for you know the 2020s or the, the, the bring back behind or, the music you know, and, and uh, yeah exactly like yeah. i just love to be the guy that kind of gets interviewed and says like you know what was going on back then like you, you know oh well here's what was going on back then here's, here's how things shifted and um and yeah like we have we have a couple of different uh levels to look at it or you know different genres to look at it from and the way touring changed and the way everything has evolved. So just trying to pay attention and document it as we go along, but hopefully, hopefully it will all just kind of form into something, uh, uh, you know, cohesive and entertaining and educational, perhaps edutainment, <laughs> edutainment. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe it won't be told, till this is all, you know, far behind us and it's the retrospective, but, but at, <laughs> You know, until then, it's kind of like, okay, let's just keep documenting and having a good time and, and see what happens. I am going to transition to our next segment by asking you a question. Okay. That question is very simple. I'm sure you've thought about this a million times. What is your favorite song by Pearl Jam? Down. Down? Nice. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. I, have I love about the it answer because I've never heard that answer before. Yeah. No. Tell down. me why. Uh, oh, gosh. Well, you know. <laughs> It's it's the feeling. It's the first just the like the intro, and it's such an upbeat kind of. And, and you know, here's here's a band that is, you know, writes the textbook on songs about pain, and you know, just making you identify with the pain or, or anger, uh, you know, social issues or anything like that. But but down, I think, is one of the happy songs, right? And uh, you just can't help but but smile and feel good about it, and. Um, I think won't let the light escape from me. Won't let the darkness swallow me. Uh, I I love those lines. I I kind of recite them to myself a lot. Um, and have in the past. Uh, when when I feel like things were getting away from me a little bit sometimes. Um, I also just because you're asking me brutally honest the the end of the live at the garden DVD right mm -hmm. um the show's over now the credits are running down is playing and there's this montage of all of them just having fun throughout the entire tour like eddie used to ride his bike around the uh the parking lots you know sometimes those tours and 
bring out the George Bush mask and all kinds of other stuff. And like, there was just this great video montage that was set to that song. And I thought that was great too. Um, yeah, it just kind of, it's such an easy one to like on a January 1st, I'd always put on the, the B side of I am mine and start the year off listening to down. And I love it. That's, that's, that's it. That's just it for nice. me. Well, um, I asked the question, A, because I wanted to know, but B, because we are going to do a segment now that we call uh, Most Essential Song. And okay. it is a segment that we've done, I don't know, seven or eight times so far. We've got a few albums to go where we basically each choose one song from the record that we think best exemplifies what the record is about. Like, say someone says, okay. you got to you gotta explain this record in one song. Which song is it going to be? Okay. So, I've got my answer. Paul's got his answer. I'm going to give you the option if you'd like to participate to go. I first. would love to. Yeah. But would which like record to go first? This is Gigaton. But I should probably tell you it's Gigaton. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I'd love to. And sure. I'll go first. You want to go first? Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, most essential song from Gigaton. Uh, Shihan, tell me your tell me your choice. Between two, but I'm going to go at seven o'clock. Okay. Um, I think. Throughout that period where I was talking about, right, where are we all going to be gone in two weeks, where there was so much uncertainty around what was happening with COVID or any, anything like that, I, I always used to think, how the heck did this band write the perfect album for this time period in all of this uncertainty and everything that's going on in the world? Like, how did they write the, the perfect album to be the soundtrack to this period in our lives? And as that was going on, and other social things were happening with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and the very apparent dividedness of the country and the 2020 election coming up, all of that stuff. Just, um, I think the, the hardest hitting part of that song for me is actually at the very end, um, the much to be done, much mm -hmm. to be done. And it was just so apparent that there was so much to be done. Um, I think Gigaton itself, the cover, the title, you know, it's about climate change. The album talked about that a lot, but still much to be done, right? I think it really socially, climate change, politically, uh, trying to figure out how we're going to change our lives post pandemic. And, and we did change our lives post pandemic. You know, so many of us work from home now where we didn't before. We've moved out of cities, kind of all of that stuff. There was just so much to be done. Um, and I think I always envisioned that becoming like an anthem at shows. I think there's almost a wasted opportunity for the crowd. The crowd should be participating so much more in the much to be done, much to be done. You know, like uh, it should just be a much bigger thing. But but anyway, I think that's that encompasses that time period for me and, and the album for me. And think about this, that they wrote all those songs before we knew there was a COVID I know. pandemic. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's also a gorgeous song. It's it's like a, you know, the chorus is just this beautiful combination of comfortably numb and ordinary world. <laughs> um, Ooh, that's a good uh, Duran Duran. What's that? That's a good shout. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, no, I, I think it is. It's a beautiful melody. It has like, the whole album has 80s undertones to it, I think, where they were going with it. Um, that song in particular encapsulates it excellent. Um, it's evolved into, I love the live version of seven o'clock now, how throughout that whole Europe tour, it got harder and harder. Um, and it's, it's found, it's found a great place. And, and yeah, I just, that's gigaton for me. Okay. Seven o'clock. All right. 
Paul, would, do you want me to go for next? Do you want to go next? What do you, what do you want to do? Your yeah, choice. You can go. I'm Maybe? curious. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's see here. First of all, I I, I really tried hard. Your favorite find... song is, is is whoever said, if I recall. Um, yeah. I do it, really enjoy there. that song. I don't. My favorite song versus what the most essential song is, not necessarily the same thing. Of course. Well, I'll say that. Um, now, my 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 knee jerk reaction when you know the notes were in front of me with a blank you know blank page here that said essential song gigaton, what the hell is it going to be? My knee jerk reaction was dance of the clairvoyance, mm-hmm. and so my brain immediately looked at other songs to see if I was right. I looked at whoever said like 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 you mentioned. I looked at seven o'clock, like you mentioned, Sean. And I looked at retrograde, and so I'm listening to retrograde, and I'm looking at the lyrics, and it, it's a it's a good, really good choice. And but then I'm like, ah, maybe I go back to my knee jerk reaction, and, and it, maybe maybe it's dance. I was wrong. <laughs> it's retrograde, and here's why it's retrograde. Gigaton is about how we are fucking our present situation up. And how we need to come together to do whatever we can to adjust the timeline that we're on to save our future. Mm-hmm. It's hopeful in the face of a very promising outlook. It's positively defiant. That's the, those are the words that I would use. Positively defiant. And that's what retrograde is all about, in my opinion. It's easy to define gigaton as you mentioned shihan as, as as a climate crisis record we got the, we got the right got the imagery there's obviously some you know quick escape yada yada um but i thought maybe it's too simple maybe, maybe i could go deeper than that and i th- i think it is i think i think it's more than that as as i mentioned um before and i think retrograde offers that more robust approach to to our future to all of our futures and i think it paints the picture beyond specific pit- pitfalls of our current status as a species, like a dance, like a seven o'clock, like a whoever said. Um, actually, the more I think about Quick Escape, might be the closest thing to retrograde. Um, however, I think that little sci-fi story may be a little too sardonic than hopeful. Yeah. Um, even though I love it, uh, I think maybe um, for most essential, it needs to be more on the nose. And so when we look at the music, again, Musically, I think Dance Quick Escape are very strong. I think they're very much with this album and this band is, is about in the moment. Um, but something that I've often loved about this band is how they take a topic and make it big. You know, and and, and nothing is bigger than the than the uh, than the outro of this song. Nothing is bigger than the continuation of our species. So I think I put those two things together, and it feels like music lyrical themes for me it's got to be retrograde and i know paul that you love, love the song it. as much as i do but i was i, I kind of did like this horseshoe i was like oh it's gonna be nope yes so <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go retrograde i'm gonna go retrograde fine choice um you disagree uh, well it's my favorite song on the album i, okay. I think it's it's the crowning achievement on the record but mm. um I, I i think where i struggle with it is um okay the parallels, I mean, it, it's the perfect, I guess, reflection of the cover and, and so much of what the record is about, uh, especially the title when you think about it. All that being said, I think what makes this record unique is the, the blend of, of uh, experimentation and, and collaboration. And interestingly enough, 
when they interviewed Jeff about Dance of the Clairvoyance, mm-hmm. um, he said it was the perfect storm of experimentation and real collaboration, mixing up the instrumentation, building a great song, Ed writing some of my favorite words yet, Matt's killer drum pattern, uh, Mike's insane guitar part. We've opened some new doors creatively, and that's exciting. And I think uh, Gigaton was very much an album about opening up new doors for them creatively. And I think that it serves as a segue to what we're going to hear on this new record coming up. Mm. And I think that uh, this, for me, it's kind of a precursor in a lot of ways. I'm not saying we're going to get a a David Byrne album or a Talking Heads album (laughs) on Pearl Jam. But I do think that uh, Dance of the Clairvoyance kind of offered us a preview into the, the type of complex and dynamic music that they are capable of writing at this stage in their careers. And uh, I think it, it serves as kind of like a high watermark moment for them as a band. It was the first single that was released, and it left mm-hmm. everybody, in a lot of ways, just completely, um, I guess, arrested in one form or another. Either because you were like, "Oh God, what are we about to get?" Yeah, <laughs> uh, which was Jason's reaction. Or yeah. this, this is fantastic. I take me wherever this is going. I cannot <laughs> wait to see like the sights, the sounds, the colors. You know. And that's where I was, where I heard this and I was like, oh my God, like this is like nothing I've ever heard from them before. And I like it when they keep me on my toes. I like it when, when they, they produce something that's so fresh in an era where so many bands of their ilk, so many bands of that era that are still playing, or even bands from the 80s or, or the 70s, mm-hmm. uh, and they just keep recycling the same kinds of sounds and material, and they don't evolve and they don't grow. And, and when they do, it's really derivative and it's just like variations of the same sounds. And uh, I think Pearl Jam is anything but that. Um, stasis is death, and they understand that creatively. Um, and I think th- this is the type of com- composition that, to me, very much represented, similarly to what Jason said about how you know, retrograde kind of was the manifestation of these big ideas of like what what bigger cause than the species. I think in a lot of ways, for them as a band, um, Dance of the Clairvoyance was that moment as well. It was like, we need to evolve, you know, like this mm-hmm. is, that for us as a band, we need experimentation. We need to um, reimagine what collaboration between us looks like if we're going to keep this thing going and, and it's going to, and it's going to continue to invigorate and it's going to continue to inspire and, and fill us with vitality. And um, I think that they achieve that. You know what I mean? So for me, I would say uh, Dance of the Clairvoyance was was that song and i think that um it was chosen specifically for a reason i think in, in a lot of ways the band i think recognized that it, this album's not going to sound like a lot of the other ones and mm-hmm. they wanted us to know that right away <laughs> yeah Jihan, so. th- this is what paul does paul takes uh something i disagree with and then forces me to agree with him <laughs> yeah no well, I, I i love i, I think love your choice you're is great paul. jason yeah i don't and, I, and, go ahead well, I was gonna say when when I was between the two, when I said I was between two songs, it was actually seven o'clock in retrograde. So, so I'm with <laughs> you there. But Paul, I I wanted to ask you too because you're right. I was right along with Jason where I heard the first song and I was kind of like, oh man, like this is like, is it April Fool's Day? Like you know, like this isn't the first song on the new record kind of thing. Like you know, um, but that being said, if that was the indication for you as to where they were going creatively and all that kind of stuff. With the exception of the Dance of the Clairvoyance and maybe Buckle Up and All Right, did the rest of the album almost let you down? 
No, and I'll, that's a great question. Back to I'll, a safer space? <laughs> no, and I say that because it wasn't that I, I thought it was going to be an electronic album. Okay, yeah. Uh, what I thought when I heard it was, it's going to be a different album. Okay. Um, like, imagine if um, Sleight of Hand was the lead single off of Binaural. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, trying to think of some, some other key examples. Funnily enough, that uh, wouldn't have affected the record sales. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But my point is that there's, if you look back pretty much from no code on, there's always yeah. kind of like an, what if, you know, an oddball song on there. You're thinking this, this is interesting, you know, mm-hmm. but um, dance of the clairvoyance to me was not like an exercise. It was not a song uh, that was making a statement, like a big middle finger finger to the music industry, you know, sure. like um, stupid mop was or something like that, or, or, or perhaps even bugs. Um, I think that, this song was very much something that that they were inspired for this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that there was intention and purpose behind this, and um, and it wasn't about making a statement. Like they needed this song for themselves. Yeah, and I in in the same way that you know we need to kind of wake up and and recognize that that urgency for us as a as a species when it comes mm-hmm. to climate control, I think for the band, they needed to recognize the sense of urgency for them and their need to, to re- reimagine how they collaborate and the type of ex- experimentation that's possible. And if you look at the painted shield stuff and, and pretty much anything that these guys yeah. are doing separate from each other, they are really leaning into that type of experimentation. So when I heard dance of the clairvoyance, I didn't think, Oh, this is going to be, you know, mm-hmm. a talking heads album. What I thought was, I feel that there's going to be a lot of very unique and different approaches to songwriting on this record that I haven't heard before. And I don't think Igaton sounds a lick like anything else they'd ever put out before. Yeah. So I think in a lot of ways, I was not disappointed. I think it, it very much delivered on that promise. Um, I would have actually been fine if they leaned in and do it even more. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Um, but uh, that would have yeah. scared me, Paul. <laughs> I, I've I've come to appreciate dance a lot more. But at the beginning, there I was like, it took me a while to actually. Right now, well, you guys I are Led fans, they right? Opened with it at See Here Now, the first show after the pandemic. I love okay. that they opened with Dance of the Carbon. I thought that was classy. Um, but yes, Zeppelin fan for sure. So, I mean, when you hear a song like Trample Another Foot or All of My Love or some some of the later stuff that really mm. kind of showed range and different levels of collaboration and experimentation, to me, that was not a band that was like a slowly fading, dying star. Mm. I, I think it was a band that was really starting to come into a very, very amazing and unique um era in in their their uh songwriting and if bonham hadn't sadly passed away i think there was a they had a lot of great albums still left in them if you ask me yeah now, granted i mean they, they partied pretty hard uh <laughs> you know so i don't know how many more great albums they would have had but i mean they were certainly leaning into a different direction and i will and give I, you I this paul like- i think i think your argument for the collaboration uh and the music that came out of the five of them together is that that is the that that song is the hallmark hallmark of that on this album and probably the best um uh illustration of that since yield mm. so when you talk about the most essential song on the album i think musically speaking you're probably right but metaphorically i mean th- if you look at the cover of that album to me that is them as a band the co- mm. that they the, the, are they they had reached a point in their career where they were being pulled in a lot of different directions on a personal level, dealing with tragedy, 
uh, kind of, you know, questioning that I mean, there's been a lot of times they've wondered, should we, should we keep this going? I mean, whether it was what happened at Roskilde, I mean, there's so many moments that were just filled with trial and tribulation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for them, they had reached a point in their, in their, their collaboration where they had to find, they were at a fork in the road and it was either like, you know, are we just going to make another lightning bolt? Mm-hmm. Um, it, which is sacrilege for me to say to somebody like Stip who adores lightning bolt and thinks it's a, a masterpiece. And I think it's a fine record, but I think for the band, they needed to keep growing. I, I don't think, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And so for me, I, I kind of, find that yes there was the big picture you know the, the the political statements that they were trying to make but i think a lot of that in in many ways is kind of like this uh projection of what was the, happening internally for them as a band of we got to keep pushing the boundary and, and there's i am with you like a hundred percent all that the only reason why i i ended up going with retrograde is because when i look at the themes of the record and look at dance the clairvoyance dance is very um sardonic in how he's kind of ridiculing the people who are just kind of like you're ignoring reality you're just kind of you're just off in your own little world you're and i love that i love when when andy gets a little a little needle yeah oh man i love it 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 it, it, that that speaks to my personality really well but i think what they meant by the entire album is that you know before bad shit was happening and they get pissed off about it and they tell you they're pissed off about it and that was the beauty of like 10 and verses and vitality um but as they've gotten older, they've found new ways to reconcile that disappointment. And the, it, the whole album was, how do we turn this disappointment into hope? How do we turn it into change, into activism? And so that's when I, when I hear the, the lyrics of Retrograde, that is what that is. And, and same way, re- the same reason why I brought up 7 o'clock, which is why you chose 7 o'clock, I think, is because there is a bit of activism, much to be done. We got to turn the page. How do we yeah. fix this thing? So... Long story short, I think between the three of us, we've each <laughs> chosen the three songs that find a way to be those tent poles of the record because that's what they're all that's what the record's about across those three songs. I think we can agree that we've all nailed this. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, Shihan, this has been a lot of fun. And, yeah, seriously. Um, I'm looking forward to parts two through 45 down, <laughs> down the road at some point. I um, would love it. Cross-contaminate our ideas. Um, where can the people find you? Uh, on Facebook or Instagram at Concert Pants. One word: C O N C E R T P A N T S. Um, X two, formerly known as Twitter, uh, which I don't <laughs> use as much, but but yeah, try to try try to keep that going too. But yeah, that's where. Um, and you know, I, I've I've still got lots of photos that I have to share from the. 2016 oh sorry 2023 tour um lots of thoughts lots of uh stories from the road so so yeah there'll there'll be a lot coming and it'll be mixed in with with blues kind of stuff and you know just concert memories and and lots of things like that but but yeah that, that's where to find me looking forward to that and uh next time you'll tell us why you chose pants and not shorts or culottes or something like that overalls. <laughs> well we talked about kids so now every time i post something about my son he's concert shorts and uh, the the youngest <laughs> one is concert briefs so so that's why <laughs> that's why there <laughs> that's, that's amazing uh shihan Pereira with concert pants uh thank you for coming on man thank you really thank you for having me this is exactly what i hoped concert pants would become excellent we're happy we're we're out here making dreams come true you are you are you totally are (laughs) all right thanks again 
to Shihan Pereira for coming on the show. Concert Pants is the handle. Uh, let's giddy up and get on with it then. Uh, let's get on to our lyric of the week. All right, lyric of the week. Paul, we're, we're winding down here and uh, only so many choices left. We are going to go to the binaural era. Oh, we're going with Sweet Lou. <laughs> really? Yes. Build them high, build them tall. A tycoon with a basketball. Tear them down, one and all. Seven two is a long way to fall. Paul, um, sweet Lou, this is uh, I think the last verse, if you could call it. Um, what what do you what do you got for this? <laughs> well, here's what I got. Okay, <laughs> okay, listen. Yes. Um, this is a song that it, it's funny that we're doing this on the heels of of a wonderful discussion about what is the essential track off Gigaton because uh, it's not often that we do that segment and we have a guest join us for it. So, mm-hmm. and it, it was a wonderful, wonderful discussion. Uh, and the, the cool thing about it is there's, there's no wrong answer to that. Right. Um, but this is about as perfect an example as you can possibly find in the Pearl Jam catalog of a non-essential song. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, to, to, to your point, in a lot of ways, we're, we're covering this in our live cut of the week, uh, mostly because uh, we're checking off a box just like probably the band was when they uh, <laughs> when they finally got around to playing it. <clears throat> uh, yeah, it but- was, I, I believe, I believe Jeff uh, said at some point, I think it was, I forget which show it was in front of. There's only three performances and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, he said, it, I don't know where he got this from, but it was voted the second worst song of Pearl Gems. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. Um, any any thoughts on the uh, mop? I don't know. Probably, probably. I'd I'd Um, rather listen to stupid mop. I think because at least there's, and I'll tell you why. I know that's probably no, no, no. That's like that's like nine minutes long. This is at least only two minutes long. I know, but like, there's something about it where it's just, it's like there's a creepiness and a sadness and a melancholy behind it, and there there's an authenticity because that was a real person that that is. I I don't know if the 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 poor soul is stable. Yeah, that's what and I'm that, saying. You got all these, these these people sharing these um these viewpoints and, and these positions on certain situations that are are really troubling and it's it's just a window into the the the, the dark depths of the human psyche. What is sweet Lou? <laughs> well, it's not know, that. So listen, listen. You you tell me tell me the last thoughts you have here because I well, I, I, I I fancied myself I made an attempt. Oh, hey, well, good for you. A hat tip, my friend. Uh, here's what I'll say. You, you're reading these lyrics. Obviously, it's a, it's an homage to a very specific basketball player, which I'm uh-huh. sure you'll get into. Uh-huh. Uh, build them high, build them tall. A tycoon with a ba- uh, basketball, pardon me. Tear them down, one and all. Seven two is a long way to fall. Sweet Lou, how's the view? Sweet Lou, how could you? So, I mean, obviously, there's there are motifs of, of betrayal and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, arrogance and uh you know fall from grace and th- there's a whole host of things that you you could read into with this particular song um but i think that there's just something so silly about it that it's, it's hard the baseline. <laughs> maybe i don't know i i 
I don't know. I I, I kind of feel like if they really wanted to to do a song like this and and they wanted to take it seriously, which clearly they didn't. But if if, if one were to make an argument that they were, or if they were to ever say that they were, my counter to that would be, well, might it have behooved that mm. endeavor to, uh, you know, put a little bit more, um, I guess, I don't know. Um, uh, I want to say thought into the composition <laughs> itself. That, that was an awkward effort to you, but uh, well, okay, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's hard because that there is there's not a lot out there in terms of how much time prep and, and preparation went into building a song. Like, uh, you know, if they were to come out and say this was incredibly intentional, and you know, we we actually workshopped this quite a bit because we really want to get it right, and these are all the reasons why we took the direction we did. Well, then I. I might be a little bit more. That doesn't mean I would agree that's the best approach to take, but at the very least, I'd understand it more. Um, so anyway, what, what say you? Uh, okay. So you make a great point there. They, they, they took an idea or Jeff took an idea and instead of trying to take a serious turn and write something to, to his point, to his emotions on the subject, mentioned betrayal, falling from grace, that kind of thing. I think they would have, they could have, and they still could come up with something really, really cool because it talks about hurt and and that's something that they're very, very good at writing about. Mm -hmm. Instead, they went the other way and made it like silly. Now, I wonder in some way is, is, was Jeff, did Jeff write it this way because he didn't want to actually approach the honest feelings that he had. He wanted, he just wanted to kind of make fun of those feelings in a sense by doing this version of a song. Maybe that's way too deep. I'm just trying to figure out why the hell they would write this thing. But with that in mind, I'm going to make an attempt to figure out what's actually at the core of this really silly song that Jeff says was voted the second worst Pearl Jam song of all time. So here we go. Here's my idea. So imagine meeting one of your heroes and he or she turned out to be pretty lame or worse a dick there's a massive come down a a, a massive emotional swing that happens you know french writer marcel proust once said you should never meet those whom you admire or as we commonly refer to it as never meet your heroes this is jeff's version of that now i can honestly say as some of our listeners have done as well I have met one of my heroes. I have met Eddie Vedder. I've said this before on the show a couple of different times. Mm -hmm. And he was awesome. I don't know how common that is, though. Um, People with that level of influence and power and charisma and fame, it takes someone truly real, truly grounded, and uh, for lack of a better word, human, to not be changed by all of that. Eddie, at least in my 10-minute chat, was not changed. He appeared to me as the same person I've grown to admire and respect both as a musician and as a human. Now, I was 24. and Like I said, I've told this story before on the show. Looking back on it, I think it was very important that he was who he was to me. Mm. Like If that encounter had gone the way that Jeff's meeting with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did, I'm not sure where my Pearl Jam fandom would be right now. I love this band so much that I can see a scenario where if he blew me off, I could have said, fuck this guy and written them off. Just stop going to shows, stop caring. 
And worse than that, part of my identity would be lost as well. That's how much they've meant to me, how much they have helped me grow into the adult that I am today. Maybe that sounds super cheesy. Maybe that reveals me to be weak in some way, that a ban could alter how I approach my life. I don't know. Maybe I'm zooming way too far out and applying too much importance to a band. But I think there's something to be said for how being disappointed by a hero can affect you. And Jeff has decided to do it in a very, very Jeff way and great. But I think if he had tried to just maybe go past the 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 pain that he felt a little harder that maybe he could have, to your point, had a little bit more thought and crafted a a song that was actually good. Well, there's a counter to that, though. Go for it. The counter would be this. Um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Jeff, they met at a charity event, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Jeff kind of professed this, this fandom. And uh, apparently it, it just, it wasn't notable, I guess, to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar right. at the time. He, he right. kind of like waved it off. Uh, mm-hmm. and he's not a huge rock music guy either, if, if, as far as I know. Um, so it's not like Rodman, right? So, mm-hmm. and I think you also have to compare that, you know, it's hard to view it through a lens that doesn't involve Rodman because of the band's relationship with, with Dennis Rodman uh, and, and other basketball stars as well. I mean, think about the, the last dance. I mean, there's a Pearl Jam song included in that that um, oh yeah that wonderful documentary. So the counter argument would be that Jeff did more justice and service to that event by not making it into an overthought composition. That 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 it was almost a, I don't want to call it a dig, but in a lot of ways it was like, well, you don't. I'm not gonna. Um, do you the honor, so to speak, mm. of writing something that truly, truly demonstrates what I'm capable of as a musician, per se? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it was more of like I, I want to express the the juvenile nature of that experience to him, and, and quite frankly, the song feels juvenile. And I wonder if that maybe that's the intention. I don't know. Mm. Well, counter counterpoint: Could he have written? this without being so obvious about it being about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. If it was just a, a song about betrayal of meeting someone that you admire. Well, he uses who knows? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's Christian name. So, And in some ways, it, it is kind of like subversive, right? He doesn't call it Kareem, yeah. right? <laughs> my, my, my point is that if he, if he wanted to write a song about being betrayed, or having hit, uh, being betrayed by the person that he really respects. No, because then we're going to get like out. we're going to get low light and, and uh, you know uh, yeah. we're going to get pilot basically, and we're going to be like, what the? F- <laughs> it's true, but maybe it would be amazing. We love low light. Maybe I do, but pilot is the flip side of that, right? Where uh, it's like what the answer? I don't know. The question, yeah, the question is the know. answer. J- J- Jeff, I, Jeff is a com- complicated dude, isn't here's, he? <laughs> here's the point, Paul. We've talked way too long about Sweet Lou, but I enjoyed it. That was a good time. <laughs> if you're still listening to this, kudos to you. You stuck around for an entire conversation oh, about Sweet Lou. Our listeners are just like, I swear to you, if they went on for another second, I would have, I would, I would have just put on stupid mop instead. That would have been a more enjoyable experience. <laughs> That's the bridge too far. Okay, too far. fair enough. All right, let's get to our uh, live cut of the week. Ready to 
Okay, live card of the week. I mentioned it before. There's three of them. Philadelphia, Halloween, Closing on the Spectrum, 2009, or the following year, uh, MSG, New York City. I think it was Slow Luke and Night. Yep. In fact, I think it was right before this. And then uh, the last chance would have been uh, 2021. 20, right? Yeah. Uh, State Beach for Ohana, Ohana Festival. That, that, um, yeah. So what do we think? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I loved Doheny, just band coming back after COVID. They were energized. Box and, uh, ticked. It, it was a box tick yeah, in yeah. a lot of ways. Uh, but, <clears throat> you know, um, the garden show was pretty cool. I mean, you're playing in a the venue seems apropos in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Uh, but I do think he, Eddie kind of fumbles the lyrics a bit in that mm-hmm. one, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Which, I mean, you could argue in a song this juvenile. Does that really matter? <clears throat> but I, I, I guess Philly... We have a high bar here, Paul. Yeah, right. Don't we? Uh, Look, we're going to go with Philly because it was the first time and it was all about trying to play everything that they had ever done at that particular point in time. And I think that, you know, they they decided to go broke or go home with this version. So there you go. October 31st, 2009, Philadelphia, PA. I'm going to sing a song about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who I fucking hated. Will Chamberlain, not me.
Yeah, there it was. Uh, not much between these. If I had to detail a tiny bit, you mentioned the lyrical flub in, in at the garden. I think yeah. uh, Jeff plays a different bass line for some reason. Not, not the complete bass line at uh, at the Ohana Festival. And the 2009 performance felt the most complete. It felt the most rehearsed. Um, yes. There's no lyrical fuck ups from Ed. It was it was solid. It was a lovely environment. So okay. 2009 <laughs> Philadelphia Halloween. Let's just go with that one. There you have uh, it. Well, there it is. Uh, I hope you don't uh, get mad that we chose that version as opposed to the other two, but uh, that, that's a choice. And we're sticking to it. Uh, a big thank you to Shihan Pereira from Concert Pants coming on, talking about the traveling fan experience, talking about Pearl Jam, talking about what it means to be a part of this community. That we, we find ourselves coming back to that every damn episode. Sure do. Um, and we will continue to, to beat that drum because that's what it's all about, man. Uh, we'll be back with you next week. Another fabulous episode. Don't know what it's going to be yet. Those are the best kinds of episodes because we come up with that at the last minute. Like, oh my god, what is it? Okay, it's this. And then they're great. So there you go. Uh, what else? Um, you should always uh... feed that algorithm. That's what yeah. That's what I was going with. I was trying to think of the word, and you just you you plucked at it. Hey, out of hey, air. it, it, it it's Halloween, man. It's it's October. It's time to feed that algorithm. Time for postseason baseball. Go Braves. <laughs> Go Braves. And with that, we'll see you next week. And until we do, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. State of love and trust.